Amen. Nehemiah chapter 4 is where we're going to go this morning if you have your Bibles. I just want to echo what Heather said. Uh, Last week was absolutely phenomenal. For those of you that were here and a part of the barbecue and the service, thank you so much for being so welcoming. Uh, for Heather and I, we've, we have felt right at home, and y'all have been great. And uh, we, you know, I don't know if you got the email or not, but we had over 300 folks in attendance last week. Um, that's awesome. Uh, what, from what I heard, that's not happened in a long time. So that was incredible to see all of those faces. And we had over, we had over 20 first-time guests last week. Um, phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. So that's, you can be excited about that. That's, that's good news. Um, and, and then also, on top of it, if that wasn't good enough, we actually probably have had one of the best offerings that we've had in a long... I know it's the best offering since, uh, since I've been around. So uh, we had a great offering. <laughs> I'll clap for that. <laughs> it's awesome. You know, we're not all about the money, but at the same time, um, the gospel's free, but the pipeline to get it out to the world is paved with gold. So... Um, it is, it's not cheap. Direct mailings, the website, all of the things, this building, turning the air on, turning the lights on, all of those things are not cheap. And so it takes all of us working together. Amen? Amen. Nehemiah chapter 4. We've started a series over the past couple of weeks, um, actually last week, and we'll be going for a couple more weeks called God at Work. I believe that God is at work doing a supernatural work here at Celebration Church. You believe that? Y'all are going to have to wake up this morning and get ready to go with me. I, I'm not, I'm not going to preach this message by myself this morning. Y'all can come with me. And so, you know, God is doing, I'll, I'll restate what I just said and give you your opportunity to get on board. God is doing a supernatural work at Celebration Church. There we go. And, uh, you know, let, let me just clue you in on something, too, that, that you're not, you're not going to shout me down. You can, I'll preach over you, I promise. And if I can't preach over you, well, then we'll just have a good Holy Ghost time and I'll take off running. But um, I was actually thinking this morning, these aisles are not big enough for us to run and we're going to have to figure out a way to run in here. So we'll, we'll have to figure out a way to get, get around and run in this building. So, but anyway, so God is doing something supernatural here and it's incredible to see the lives that are being transformed, people that are being encouraged, breakthrough that's happening. We've had folks... Uh, Emotional healing breakthrough. Um, just this past week, um, I won't say any names, so I won't embarrass you, so don't feel like if you're in the room this morning and I'm telling your story, uh, I'm not going to tell people who you are. But uh, just this week, Heather was talking you know, Wednesday night about the Holy Spirit, and someone uh, was messaging her saying how incredible the service was, but the whole time they were sitting there in service, they kept, felt, kept feeling this joy bubbling on the inside of them. They didn't feel like they could, could laugh during service and didn't understand why they wanted to laugh, but there was something stirring on the inside of them, and they just kept their mouth shut and ended up getting physically ill because they were trying to control themselves from, from having an emotional outburst in service, and all I got to say to that is if, if that's you and the Holy Spirit is moving on you, have your emotional outburst. I might have one with you. It's okay. Um, you know, if you've not heard my story, I'll share it again. Um, but, you know, I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I grew up in Assembly of God Church. My great-grandmother helped start the church. And so I grew up, you know, old school, Pentecostal, Assembly of God, had the t-shirt, the bumper sticker, even the little lapel things. You know, one of the ladies in our church had, I've attended Sunday school every day of my life, badge, you know, all of those. That's the kind of church I grew up in. And so, 
you know, um, I, I had seen God move, had been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I ended up, and many of you have heard this story, ended up in New Orleans about 10 years ago at a church called Victory Fellowship. And uh, I was sitting in the pew, probably as far back from me to the, to the Sloan's in the back row, just probably the distance. And uh, I, I knew the Holy Spirit. I was familiar with His touch. And I had seen people laugh. Man, I had seen, prayed for people and see people laugh and get supernatural joy. But I had never experienced it myself. And uh, I'd actually heard people speak against supernatural joy in church. They were okay if you cried in church, and you could be mad in church, but you couldn't get joy in church. I didn't understand that. That never made sense to me. But anyway, and so I began to have this bubbling on the inside of me and started laughing. And I, I immediately... You know, my hands went over my mouth, and I was trying to control it, probably very similar to what was happening uh, Wednesday night, and I could not control it for the life of me. I ended up on the floor, rolling on the floor, laughing hysterically. If anybody knows me, that's not, that's not me. I'm very, uh, I, I'm very reserved. I'm not a social person. I hate being in front of people. I hate being behind the pole. I hate preaching. I hate public speaking. I really do, and um, I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. And anytime we're in social gatherings, my wife always has to go first, and I poke her anytime that somebody needs to be talked to, because I don't like doing it. <laughs> she ends up with big old bruises on her side and her arm because of my poking. Not really, but I'm not abusive. <laughs> Somebody's going to send a letter to a church, to the church, and say, Pastor is abusive. I'm not. Anyway, so the joy of the Lord hits me, and I start. I was on the floor rolling and laughing, carrying on, and I, I say I was drunk uh, for two months. I lived Holy Ghost intoxicated for two months. Um, it didn't matter where we went or what we did, I was a mess, and um, I, I knew I was a mess the night we went to Jackson Square. If you're familiar with New Orleans, Jackson Square is the tourist center where they have all of the fortune tellers, the, you know, all of the, you know, whatever, you got it there, you name it, it's there. And that's where all the fortune tellers and all the public people go and assemble. And, and we were out going to minister to the homeless. And as we're ministering to the homeless, the supernatural joy began to well up in me again. And I'm on the ground rolling and laughing in Jackson Square, praying in tongues. It was not, you know, not the normal thing that you would think, you know, somebody should be doing unless you're really drunk. And I was on the Holy Ghost. And so uh, that was two months for us. And, you know, the crowds came around and taking pictures. And our team of people ministered to the crowds while they were taking pictures. And I'm on somebody's Facebook wall today, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I just want to encourage you, all of, all of that to say, I want to encourage you to step into the presence of God and receive all that he has for you. You may not be used to this. You may not, you know, you may be one of those folks that say, you know, I've experienced that at camp, and that's a camp experience, but God wants it to be an everyday experience. He, do, he doesn't want you just to pray in tongues at camp. He doesn't want you just to pray in tongues at, at uh, certain times of the year. You know, this is an everyday experience. So, I'm glad my wife agrees with me because... <laughs> I'm, I'm still wondering if the rest of you are back at point go, open your Bibles to Nehemiah 4. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, just step in and receive all that God has for you. It's incredible. We're on a wild journey together, and uh, it's exciting. If you're a guest this morning and you're hearing me say all this and you're totally freaked out, that's okay. Be freaked out. I get freaked out. I've seen weird stuff. 
I get really freaked out when the demons start walking at me while I'm preaching. That's, you know, so, uh, you know, you get the demon-possessed people walking up with the Hey, that's a little weird. It's a little creepy. So um, I know all about that. It's okay. We were just talking this morning before service. I said, you know, it might be good if we actually, after service, had an usher stay around the front. Last week we had some interesting folks. But that happens when the presence of God comes, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because I just want more of him. And I, I guarantee you that if you'll step in and all the weirdness and all the goodness and all of it mixed together, it's a big old gumbo pot. We'll sort it all out, figure it all out. That's why we're here. God appoints pastors to deal with all the weirdness. If, you're, if there's weirdness going on, rest assured, we'll deal with it. So don't be afraid to step in. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 4, God is doing a supernatural work. And so we pick up in verse 1, and I'm going to read pretty much this whole chapter. Um, It's only a few, well, it's several verses, so if you can bear with me. I love this chapter of Nehemiah. But it so happened, verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, but it so happened when Sanballat, all these wonderful names, heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant. Go figure, somebody would actually get mad that God was doing a supernatural work. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. Have you ever felt that way before, that everybody was against you, that God was doing something supernatural, God was at work in your life, and everybody around you had something negative to say? I mean, that's pretty slanderous to say. Even if a fox went up on that wall, that thing would fall apart. And here they are, they're, they're investing time and energy and effort to build this wall, and, and these folks are mocking them and saying, even if the fox went up, this thing isn't able to sustain nothing. And and you might feel that way that there's people in your life today that would say, you know what? You'll never be anything. You'll never amount to anything. Yeah, yeah, whatever. God's called you to ministry. That's not going to happen. Or you're going to step out and be a teacher or a preacher. Yeah, that's never going to happen. I don't, I don't ever see that happen. Or maybe you don't feel like you're equipped or able to do what God's called you to do. And I want to say to you today that Nehemiah and all of, the, all of the Jews were right in the same place. Man, they're right in the middle of doing what they knew God had told them to do. And people around them were challenging and mocking and criticizing what God was at at work doing in their midst. So you're in good company today if you feel that way. And so we continue on in verse 4. It says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn the reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Wow, that's a powerful prayer. In other words, God, whatever they're saying, turn it on their own heads and give us their, give us their riches. Give us their money. We want what they got. And that, that's a pretty powerful prayer. And so verse 5, do not cover their iniquity, do not let their sin be blotted out before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people, you should underline this in your Bible, for the people had a mind to work. And verse 7, it says, Now it happened when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdites and the Bugbites heard the walls heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps, you'll get that, the bug bites, you'll get that later. You'll go home and say, bug bites, I don't remember that being in the Bible. 
It's not. And the gaps were being, beginning to be closed, and they became very angry, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Isn't that just like the enemy? He wants to come in and create confusion in our lives. When you're in the middle of fulfilling the plans and the purpose, man, we're, we're living. Heather and I are living the dream. I, we say that all the time. We're living the dream. We are walking in full-time ministry. We have a great marriage. We have a great family. We love ministry. We, we have friends in from New Orleans uh, this week. And, we're, you know, we're just, we're living the dream. We love what we do. And isn't it just like in the middle of all of that, the devil wants to bring confusion and strife. And, uh, you know, it was funny. Last week we had someone show up in service. And in the middle of our celebration, in the middle of what God's wanting to do, somebody shows up to criticize and critique what God's doing here. I promise. I talked to them. And they wanted to criticize and critique what, what was happening here. You know how awesome God is, though. By the time they left, they said, God is at work at this church. This is exactly what Akron needs. I said, yep, I think so. So they came in to create confusion and yada, yada, yada. Nevertheless, verse 9, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set watch against them day and night. And verse 10, then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. Now, I find it interesting, if Nehemiah had surveyed the wall, he had taken inventory of the wall, he would have known whether or not they were able to rebuild the wall. And, uh, you know, here they are, they're making a definite, definitive statement, we're not able to do this. And I have a feeling that, that in their natural strength, yes, they were not able to, do, to accomplish what they had set forth to do. And maybe you're here today, and you're one of those people that say, you know, we just can't do this. This whole, we want to be a church that's on fire for God, and we want to be a revival church, and we want to see revival touch our city, and, and God do something awesome in our region. We, just, we can't do this. We're not equipped. We don't have the resources. We don't have the money. We don't have the, we don't have the skill or the talent or the workers or the this or that. And how many of you know we can create a long list of things that we don't have, but I promise you the one thing that we do have is the supernatural power and presence of God working on our behalf. So, so let them say what they will, and your strength may be, maybe get weary. You may be get a little feeble along the journey, and maybe you're one of those workers here today that have given so much, and, uh, and we've seen. Don't, don't think that Heather and I don't see. We know that there is a lot of energy and a lot of effort, especially during the transition when you don't have a pastor. Man, that, that takes a lot of work to sustain a church when you don't have a pastor, and I know that there are people that have labored and endured the transition, but this isn't time to quit. This isn't time to lay down the tools and lay down the sword and say, oh, thank you, Jesus. The pastor's going to do it all. Because I got news for you. I ain't going to do it all. I, my, job's to, my job's to equip you to do it all. My job is to resource you and equip you to do the work of the ministry. And so we're just getting started, baby. So if you think, if you think it's time to quit and chill out, you've got another thing coming because we're ready to run and see God do something supernatural in this city. We had... Um, so we had lunch with someone a couple of weeks ago, and they said, you know, you, know you, just, you just take it easy. You don't have to go so fast, and you can just relax, and, um, you know, make sure you don't overwork yourselves. And we said, overwork ourselves? We feel like we're going about 10 miles an hour, <laughs> so we're ready to run, but we're just taking our time. So you may feel that way this morning that, as they said, Judah's strength is failing. 
in verse 10. Their strength is failing, and there's so much rubbish. There's so much ministry. There's so much work to do. Pastor Zach, don't you just see all the work? I mean, we've got ceiling tiles and walls and, and painting and carpeting, and we've got a lost city, and we got... We need, I see it all. I have a very long list on my computer. I promise I've seen those things. But I also see the supernatural work of God in this church. And I see people coming together and unifying together like they haven't done before. And I see relationships forming that, that haven't been before. And I see new workers stepping up that haven't stepped up before. And I see people giving that haven't gave before. And I see people that stopped giving that are giving again. And I see people engaging in the work that God's doing here at Celebration. So you may feel like you're getting feeble, but I just want to encourage you today, don't give up. God's doing a supernatural work. And verse 11 says, and our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause their work to see. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came and told us 10 times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set people according to their families with swords and spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Man, if I could say anything to you today, there is a spiritual battle taking place. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. And don't don't let what God's doing here dissipate. There, this church was started to be a supernatural lighthouse in this community. We can go all the way back to its founding, and the heart of the founder was that this would be a place where lives could be transformed, people could be healed, broken lives could be mended, and I believe that God is making good on his promise. I believe that God is doing exactly that. So fight for your sons and daughters. Fight for this community. Don't give up hope. And verse 15, and it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields and the bows, and they wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. And those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and the other hand they held the weapon. And every one of the builders had this sword girded to his side and built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive and we are separate far from one another. And they built and they brought everybody together and the work continued. And so I want to say to you today, that God, again, I want to say, God is doing something supernatural in this church. And you may feel, you may feel like um, life is in despair. The walls of your life are broken down. You may be discouraged in your own personal life. But I'll read what we sang this morning. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, and 9 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side. We are yet not crushed. We are hard-pressed on every side. You may feel that way today. You may feel like people around you are coming against you. Finances are coming against you. Your children, your family may be coming against you, but you are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. And so the walls of our city, yes, they need to be built. Yes, our church needs restoration. Yes, our church needs to step out into the new things of God. But I'm not discouraged. I'm not despair because I know my God's working on our behalf. 
Three things we see here from Nehemiah chapter 4. The transforming work of God's grace. Our preservation by God in the midst of hardship. And our equipping from God. We see that God's transforming grace at work. These Jews, they, had, they didn't have the desire. They didn't have the ability. They didn't have the resources. But the grace of God came and gave them a supernatural desire to build. God gave them a supernatural motivation to build. How many of you know sometimes we have a desire from God to do something supernatural? Sometimes we have a desire placed in our heart by God to accomplish something great. Everyone in this room wants to be part of something bigger than themselves. That's innate to all of us. We all want to partner together and do something incredible for the kingdom. And we have desire and oftentimes lack the motivation. Sometimes we want to see great things accomplished, but man, we just rather sit on the couch and let somebody else do it. How many of you have ever thought, man, I need to do the dishes, but maybe my wife will get that? Man, don't raise your hand. Because it's our natural tendency to be lazy. We don't, we don't have the motivation that we need sometimes to do those things. But grace comes and gives us a supernatural motivation. You know, there's a lot of false teaching out right now about grace. Grace, a lot of folks are saying that grace is you can live however you want to live and God will condone it. And that's, that's not what grace is. Grace is the supernatural power of God at work in us to transform us and to change us more and more into his image. So anybody who tells you or preaches that you can live how you want and do what you want and God's just going to overlook it. That's not scripture. Actually, it's universalism. Actually, Martin Luther had a term for it. He called it antinomianism. It's, it's false grace. The grace saying you can live and do what you want. That's not the grace of the Bible. The grace of the Bible comes and gives us a supernatural desire to live right. It gives us supernatural motivation to live right. And it gives us supernatural strength and provision to live right. You might find yourself in the middle of temptation or struggle in your life. You might be here today and maybe struggling with a sexual sin or depression or emotional bondage. And I want to say to you that the grace of God will come in the middle of that and give you a supernatural strength and provision to overcome it. With every temptation, the Bible says, God provides a way of escape. You don't have to continue on in the path of destruction. You don't have to live in condemnation and guilt. God wants his grace to come and bear in your life to bring you out of the pit and bring you out of bondage, to transform your life. Amen. In John chapter 1 and verse 16, it says, and of his fullness, everybody say fullness. Of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. That word fullness means to be filled with presence, power, agency, riches of God, completeness, abundance, nothing lacking, entire or full. God wants you to have his fullness in your life. Edwards used to say that, that God has a tendency and his tendency is to overflow. God wants to overflow his grace in yours and I's life. He wants to overflow in your life and my life. It's not just come to the river and get a cup full. And although sometimes we need a cup, God wants us to jump full on in to the midst of his overflowing presence and get fullness for the journey. He wants us to take on fullness of his journey, uh, for the journey. You know, that's why we teach so much on having hands laid on you and, and uh, coming into the prayer line and saturating and uh, praying in tongues and getting in the word and having personal devotion time, saturating in his presence, saturating in his presence, not, not uh, satisfied with just a little bit. This weekend, we were out with Zoe. We went to the Amish country and had a great time. 
getting out into the Amish area and exploring the countryside. Some of you all have seen our pictures on Facebook, I'm sure. And while we're out with Zoe, um, Zoe doesn't get a lot of sugar. We monitor her sugar. We don't like her getting a lot of sugar. And uh, I'm sure anybody with kids can understand and appreciate that. And so we, uh, we decided we were going to get some ice cream, and so Zoe gets some ice cream, and she gets a little bite of the ice cream, and, and her whole face lit up. She had this, the biggest smile I've ever seen. I mean, she was excited about that ice cream. And it, it didn't stop there. She wanted another bite, wanted another bite, wanted, and then she was finally reaching out to more. And how many of you know the presence of God should be just like that in our life, that we can, we can keep receiving, keep receiving. It reminds me of the woman in Matthew chapter 15 who had the demon-possessed daughter. She was a Gentile woman. She comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want you to come heal my daughter. And the response that Jesus gave her was, why am I to take the bread and the food of the, of the house of Israel and give it to the dogs? Now, that's some pretty heavy statement from Jesus. Jesus, you're supposed to be the man who has compassion. And here you're telling this woman, why would I take what's meant for someone else and give it to the dogs? And the woman's response was, but even the dogs eat the crumbs under the master's table. And I want to tell you this morning that, yes, those crumbs contain, contain every bit of DNA that the whole loaf has. And you can come in and just get a little dab this morning, but, but why not get the whole loaf? Why not come in and why, why settle just for a little drop? Why settle just for a little breadcrumb? when you can have the whole person of Jesus Christ this morning. You can delight yourself in the presence of God this morning. Well, I don't want to look foolish, and I don't want, well, it might, I might look messy if I'm, look, this woman under the, you look messy or just trying to eat the crumbs off the floor. Just, just belly up to the table and take a big old drink of the river of life this morning. You probably stand out more crawling around on the floor looking for a crumb. So this morning, I want to encourage you to get a big drink of the presence. Take a big old bite of his presence this morning and enjoy his fullness. Secondly, we see from Nehemiah 4 that the salvation of the Lord, God not only transforms us, but he preserves us through hardship. You know, the warfare of the believer is less about others and more about ourselves. A lot of times, you know, we're always talking about spiritual warfare and we're always talking about our issues and we got to pull this down and tear this down and break through this and do this and do that and just settle all that down. Because really, the reality is for most of us is that the problem is inside. It's internal and not external. And, and the issues that we're facing and we're dealing with this morning are more about us learning to walk in the Spirit than they are pulling down strongholds and tearing down the enemy this and the enemy that. It's more about us learning to walk in the fullness of God than it is dealing with the strongholds. How, well, how do we walk in the Spirit? Walking in the Spirit, in, in uh, let me read this verse for you from Galatians 5. It says, if we we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That word walk means to proceed in rank and order to go forward as a soldier. That means that when we walk in the Spirit, when we're walking in the Spirit of God, there is an order, there is discipline in our lives. We're walking. When, when you begin to walk in the Spirit, you're walking in the supernatural order of God. And, and a lot of times, we how many of you have probably heard, don't raise your hand, but this is rhetorical, have probably heard somewhere along the line, well, we shouldn't get too out of control because we've got to have order in the house of God. <laughs> yeah, those of you that are laughing have probably heard this before. 
The order of God, you know, a lot of times we, we orchestrate order. A lot of times we decide what's order and what's not order when God really is the one who should be just determining order and what's not order. And the order of God is the order of the Spirit. And when we begin to step and walk in the Spirit, that is the order of God. Well, how do we do that? First off, we have to walk with purpose. We have to understand what our purpose is. Man, you and I are called to a godly calling, a heavenly purpose in this life. You and I are a household, a tabernacle being built together to be a dwelling place for the presence of the Lord. So we have a purpose in this life. We have a purpose for walking in the Spirit. Secondly, we have to walk with observation. You know, you don't go on a journey. Yesterday we went and walked through Sand Run and, and, and uh, walked through the park. You can't go walking through the woods with your eyes closed. If you start especially through there, you, you close your eyes and you'll walk right off the path into the water or wherever. And so when you begin to walk in the Spirit, you can't, it's not just a leisurely stroll that you begin to shut off everything else around you. You have to begin to look and have observation for obstacles that are around you. A lot of times there's, there's obstacles that come our way, the offenses of others, if you will. We, we have offense, whether it's unintentional or intentional. Someone says something or does something, maybe a former pastor or a friend or or a coworker, or whatever the case is, someone does something or says something that offends us, and it becomes a roadblock in our journey. It becomes difficult to walk in the Spirit when you're having to continually walk around obstacles. So it's better that you say, okay, Holy Spirit, we have an obstacle in our path. Let's deal with this. I have offense in my life. Let's deal with this offense. Let's not allow the offense to continue. Let's go in and let's begin to forgive and release those that I have offense to. And then there's distractions. You begin to walk in the Spirit, and there's distractions that come our way. There's bills that got to be paid. There's family issues. There's children issues. There's church issues. There's all sorts of issues. Y'all hear what I'm saying this morning. There's distractions that come our way and try to get our eyes off of our purpose. There's distractions that try to get our eyes off of our heavenly calling and our heavenly purpose and get them onto the circumstances around us. And we have to walk in the Spirit and say, okay, God, let's deal with these distractions. And then sometimes there's full-on assaults. Nehemiah and those folks in Nehemiah 4 were facing a full-on attack. Sometimes the enemy comes against us and he begins to create doubt in what God had said. The, the, the Jews were facing a, an attack, not, not necessarily physically, but if you listen to what they were saying, we're feeble, we're weak, there's too much rubble. They begin to doubt the vision that God had given them. And oftentimes when we find ourselves walking in the Spirit, man, that first couple of steps is exciting. Wow, look at me, I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm walking according to the Word of God. This is exciting. How many of you remember when you first got born again? And yeah, man, I, this is awesome. I got born again. I'll sign your Bible. Let me, man, look what God's done. I'm a, I'm a cool guy now. And you're all excited and pumped up and want to tell the world about Jesus. And then what happens a few steps into the journey? Man, this isn't quite so exciting anymore. Nobody told me about this. They told me pray a prayer and everything would be all hunky-dory. And now it's not quite so, this isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. Distractions, obstacles, and assaults come our way, and those assaults specifically begin to create a, a doubt in what God had said. Just go back to the Garden of Eden. The enemy wanted to create doubt in the authority of God and the vision, the purpose of God. It was all about doubting who God was, and the enemy wants you to begin to doubt and have fear about the things that God's spoken to us. But I want to say to you that God will preserve us. He will keep us through those hard times. 
When we walk in the Spirit, how do we do that? We have to not only have purpose and observation, but we have to walk with balance. Each of us have five senses. Everyone in this room has five senses. You can see, you can touch, you can hear, and you can taste. Those five senses are what enable us to walk a balanced life, right? If, if, you have, if, you're, if your hearing is off, you get dizzy, you, you lose your balance. If, if your tasting is wrong and, and you can't taste things, you start eating wrong foods and you get really fat and have to go on a diet. So you get off balance, you know, you start leaning the wrong way. And so we, we have five senses that all have to be in order. They all have to come together. Well, in the spiritual world, faith is those five senses. A lot of times we, we hear a lot of teaching these days that, that faith is name it, claim it. You, you know, if you want to break through, you proclaim it and God's going to do it. Well, what if he doesn't? Who, made you, who died and made you God that said God had to do what you told him to do? I'm just saying, you know, who, who, said that, who said that God had to do X, Y, Z for you? He may, he may have another plan for you. I'm sure, I'm sure all of the martyrs that have gone before us thought God was going to deliver them out of their martyrdom, but they ended up going to the death. And so sometimes we, we have this idea that faith is, I can tell God what to do, and that's not what faith is. The Bible says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's a, it's a tangible reality of, of heaven. It's a, it, it says now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Well, what is the hope of the believer? It's Christ. Christ is our hope. Our hope is found in Him. And so now, now faith is, now faith is active. It's a verb. It's alive. It's real. It's tangible. It's a real reality of the world to come. So that's the first thing that Paul says in Hebrews about faith. Now faith is the evidence of the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so it's the tangible reality to see, not only to know that it's there, but to see that it's there. And so God wants each of us to have faith to be able to see and perceive the reality of heaven around us. There is an unseen world all around us right now. If you could have spiritual eyes right now, there is an unseen world more close than, than what you and I can see. It's closer. It's right up in the Holy Ghost right now. is right up in yours and I's face. Right up in our business. There, the, the, the room right now is filled with the Spirit of God. And if you and I had spiritual eyes to see the unseen world this morning, we would recognize the presence of God in this room. That's what faith is. Faith is the ability to walk a balanced spiritual life, to perceive what is happening in heaven so we can live it here on this earth. Well, I don't understand why all the, I don't understand it all either. But when you begin to perceive heaven, it's no longer about your circumstance. It's no longer about the difficulty. It's about, God, what are you doing in and through this? God, I don't care. Yes, I want to be healed. Yes, I want to be delivered. Yes, I want to be set free. Yes, I want all the good things that God has for me. But if he does it, and if I continue in this journey, God, what is it that you're working in and through my life in this moment? God, in, in the middle of this sickness, what is it that you're doing in my life? In the middle of the hardship at work, what is it that you're doing in and through my life? Do you know that God is using those moments in your life to make you look more like him? And so if you forget to say, God, what are you doing in my life in this moment? You've missed an opportunity to look like Christ. 
And so faith gives us that ability to perceive what God's doing. And then we have to have action. When we're walking in the Spirit, we have to have action. You can't wish that you're going to get somewhere. If I want to walk to the foyer, I have to begin to put foot after foot and have action to get to the foyer. And walking in the Spirit is the same way. You can't just say, man, I wish I got free from this. Man, I wish this, this problem wouldn't be in my life. Man, I wish I wasn't in debt. I wish I didn't have bondage. I wish I didn't have this. And, and you list all these things, but how are you putting your faith into action? How are you walking out what you're perceiving God doing? If you're in debt, cre- cut up the credit cards. Just making sure you're still with me. Go to financial peace. It's getting ready to start. All of these things begin to put step after step. If you're sick, begin to take care of yourself. If you have heart trouble, you better not be eating. What's the donut place around here? Krispy Kreme and Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, You know, uh, this is funny. This is really funny. It's not funny, but it is funny. It's really not funny, but it is funny. (laughs) I went to the hospital this, this weekend to visit some folks and I'm, and I'm, one had had stents, had had a heart attack, had stents put in, and another one had thought they had a heart attack and was having lung issues. And then the other one had fallen, but they, they're not part of the story because they, they were doing good. That person actually did good. But the, I guess they learned their lesson. You fall, you, you know, you got to take care of yourself. But the, but the two heart, the two heart people, I'm, stand, I'm standing in their room and they're drinking Cokes. Now, now, some of you are saying you, you just stop preaching the Bible and you're meddling in my business because I like my Cokes. <laughs> I promise I'm preaching the Bible. This is living a balanced life. This is walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit means you take care of your body. And so they're, they're drinking Cokes. And I'm like, how? And I even said, I'm surprised the hospital even allows you to drink a Coke after heart surgery. That makes no sense to me. And, and the response was, well, my doctor told me a long time ago I needed to stop drinking Cokes because it was, I, I'm in good shape other than the Cokes. And I thought, so, so if, if the, the wife or the family of that person's in the room, please forgive me. I'm using your family as an example. But, but the, the reality is true that each of us have to live a balanced life. And whether it's our physical body or financial or emotional or relational, all of those things, if we're going to walk in the Spirit, we can't just wish we're going to get somewhere. Man, I just wish I'd be in good health. I just wish this, would, this problem, I wish my, my daughter would have a better relationship with me. I wish you got to begin foot by foot. And, you know, it might be a baby step and it might be very simple. It may just be cutting back from 20 Cokes a day to 18 Cokes a day. Might be really simple, but just take a step. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How do we walk in the Spirit? We have to fix our eyes on Jesus. We have to fasten our eyes on him and stop looking at our circumstances. 
Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 15 says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. That word careful means circumspectly. It means taking observation of. It means to have vigilance and watchfulness, that you're, that you're watching where you're going. And Romans 8 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. I love this verse. You need to highlight, underline, circle, Whatever you do in your Bible to make a verse stand out, make this verse stand out. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That word helps is a com- combo word that Paul used that really doesn't exist. He made it exist, and it's soon anti-lambanamite. I'm not praying in tongues. This is Greek. I try to say that. This is why you go to Bible college. You have to learn how to say all these weird words. Soon anti-lambanamite. And this is what it means. That it's a very picture word. It's like a lifeguard that sees someone who's drowning. The lifeguard runs out into the middle of the in the middle of the ocean and begins to wrestle with the person who's drowning and pulls them to safety. In other words, the Holy Spirit in the middle of our circumstance, when we don't know what to pray or how to respond or what to do, all we know to do is help. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Help! And the Holy Spirit comes and he wrestles with us and strives with us. And some of you are, like to wrestle a lot more than others. And the Holy Spirit wrestles with you and fights with you until you get to safety. That's why we say all the time, it's better for you to just yield. Just yield. When you come up to the prayer liner in your life, just yield. Say, God, here am I. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it takes. I yield. I'm turning my brain off. Sometimes our biggest enemy is our brain. We just we try to process it. We try to think it through. We try to analyze it. Man, people are falling. People are laughing. People are crying. Why are they doing that? Why are they laying hands on people? And all of a sudden, our our brain starts wandering all over the place. Or in the, in in our private devotion time. How many of you know you're reading the Bible? You're taking time to pray in your private devotion time. And then all of a sudden, it's like every task you could ever think of comes to your mind. And you're like, oh my goodness, I just want to pray. Why am I thinking of all the stuff I got to do? And it's really insignificant. But, but what happens is we begin to get distracted. We have these obstacles and all these things begin to happen. And we've got to discipline ourselves to yield. You and I were created to yield to the master. You and I were created to yield to the Holy Spirit. It's how Adam and Eve lived their life, yielded to intimacy with God. But how many times do we find ourselves struggling with the very one that wants to set us free? God, I want healing, but oh, I don't want to fall on the floor. God, I want, I want deliverance, but I don't want to have to go forgive the person that, that hurt, hurt me. It's, it's comfortable to stay in control, but it's control that keeps us out in the ocean and not in the shores of God's safety. And so we begin to set our eyes on Jesus. We begin to walk in the Spirit. And then lastly, God comes and He equips us. In the middle of difficulty, He equips us. He's our saving God who equips us with truth. In verse 17 and 18 of Nehemiah 4, it says that each one of them carried their sword at their side. Each of them were well equipped. Romans 8 
I'm sorry, Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Our equipment from God is this sword right here. It's the word of God. This is the equipment that God gives you and I, the sword of the spirit, to begin to face the difficulties of our lives. There's a couple things here I want to take a look at. First off, the, the Bible says, in Hebrews 4 that the word of God is, it's active. Again, the word of God is not past. It's not a future thing. It is. God said that my words will never pass away, that everything else, heaven and earth, everything else is going to dissipate, but my word will never pass away. So it is relevant. You don't have to try to make the word of God relevant or current. The word of God is relevant and current on its own. There's so many preachers that are, that are trying to be relevant. The word of God is relevant. It's current. The Word of God's nature, three things that, that Paul says about the nature of the Word of God. It's living. The word living is the Zoe life. It's, it's possessed, full of vitality and life, and it's animated. Man, if you're feeling depressed or discouraged or you're, not, you, you know, you're feeling down and out, get in the Word of God. It's full of life. It will bring life to your body, life to your mind, life to your emotions. The, the second word that Paul uses is it's powerful. That word powerful means that it's effective. In Greek, it means that it's effective and active. The word of God for your life will accomplish that which God sends it forth to do. In Isaiah, he says, my word will not return void. And so when you begin to stand on the word of God and you begin to saturate in the word of God and the truth of God, that it will produce a harvest, the intended fruit it's, uh, to produce in your life. And then Paul says it's sharper. There's no comparison. It is the sharpest. There's no other sword. There's no other weapon compared to the Word of God. And so it's effective. It's powerful. It's active in our life. And nothing else can take its place. And then Paul says it has a work to, to accomplish in our life. There's two things that, that the Word of God does in our life. It separates. The Bible says that it separates between soul and spirit. What does that mean? It separates between our mind and our spirit man. It helps us to see the difference between what our natural desires are and what our, what our carnal nature, what our carnal mind says, and what the Spirit of God says. When you begin to face this situation and you feel your emotions rising up, and man, when that guy says something that just ticks you off and you just want to slug him, you begin to have the Word of God rise up in you and say, man, that's not the right response. I'm having an emotional response. That's not what the spiritual response should be. Or when you're looking at that, that Coke after heart surgery and you really want to drink the Coke and you say, that's not the right response. Those, the spiritual response is to drink water and take care of myself. How many of you hear what I'm saying this morning? And then it separates between joint and marrow. It separates between what our habits and our routines are and what are, what's, what's godly and what's not. Sometimes we have ungodly routines that we've just developed through the years that we don't even realize are really ungodly. And we begin to say, wow, this isn't, you know, this isn't honoring God. This isn't, and, and we can fill in the gap. We can list all sorts of habits and routines and actions that probably we all have, amen, that God wants to begin to sort through and sift through in our life, and the Word of God will do that. 
The Word of God brings those things to light. And it may not be that, you know, sometimes we deal with issues that aren't necessarily sin. They're, they're not necessarily sinful habits or routines. But the Word of God, as you're reading and you're in the Word, it brings to light a certain habit or, or routine in your life. And God says, this isn't healthy for you. Drinking a Coke is probably not going to send you to hell. Ha, 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 ha. Y'all with me? You can laugh. But when you're in the Word and you begin to understand, I need to, I need to take care of my body, and the Spirit of God begins to poke and prod at you, then we yield to the Spirit of God and what He's saying in that moment, and it discerns between our godly habits and our ungodly habits. And then for you, then it is sin because the Holy Spirit convicted you and you didn't respond. And then the Bible says, second thing that it does is it's a discerner between our thoughts and our intents. Our thoughts are our daily thought process, our daily habits. The Word of God exposes our daily thoughts and our process, but then it goes to the intents. And that word intents means the innermost thoughts and intimate concepts of your heart and mind. Isn't it good to know that the Word of God goes into those places that you don't want anybody else to go? Those places of your heart where you thought, man, if I could only say what I really wanted to say about that person, I would give them a piece of my mind. I can't. And the Word of God begins to penetrate those dark areas of your mind, those recessed areas of the thoughts and the intents, those, those intimate places of your heart, and begins to expose them. And so I ask you today as we wrap up, God's at work doing a supernatural work in celebration, but he's at work doing a supernatural work in your life. You're a part of this body, and each one of us have a place on the wall. I think about Nehemiah and all these workers. Here are all these people building and laboring. They've got their swords out. I mean, they're, they're ready to be attacked at any given moment. They're doing, they're setting their hands to work. They're laboring, they're building. I mean, last week we talked about how the wall was almost five miles long. It's 16 and a half feet wide. I mean, this is a massive wall. And they're doing, everybody's doing their part. Everybody's hard at work doing their part. And in the middle of it, God begins to surface their issues, their, their emotional issues, their, their fear issues, their heart issues. And here's Nehemiah. The, the name Nehemiah means comforter. So he's a picture of the Holy Spirit, the comforter. The Holy Spirit comes, and he begins to guide them and direct them and walk them through this path. And so I say to you today, why is it? Why is it that God, in the middle of our hardship, begins to pull out these issues and begin to transform us by his grace? Every one of us in this room are being transformed by grace today, hopefully. God's doing supernatural in your life what you couldn't do in your own strength or power. And he preserves us through those difficult days. And, and when we face hardship and work hardship, family hardship, whatever the hardship is, he preserves us and brings us through. And then, on top of all of that, he equips us. Why does God do all of this? Why is he at work? Because he's after a city. He's after a nation. He's after that lost person that stands at the street corner holding a sign, homeless. He's after the person that's prostituting themselves, that's, heart, that's broken, that's carrying emotional baggage. He's, he's after the person that's the drug addict that's bound up in prison. He's after the teenager next door bound up in the, in, in the prison because they've, they have, they've done something illegal and they're, they're broken and in despair. He's, he's after those people. Jesus said, I didn't come to the, to the healthy, I came after the sick. 
You and I have been brought out of our sickness and disease spiritually to minister to the broken around us. I want us to close with this video. If you can go ahead and roll that video, that would be great.